You're listening to the City Church Tallahassee podcast. For more information about City Church, please visit us online at citychurchtallahassee.com. Isn't that a great story uh, from Michael Holmes? Hey, I'm Dean. I'm a pastor at City Church, and I really do believe that. I hope you're, I hope you're inspired and encouraged by what Michael shared. I believe the home, the workplace, and for middle school and high school students and elementary school students, the school. So home, workplace, and school. If we rethink our approach to those areas and see ourselves as missionaries in those environments, at home with our families, discipling and leading our children to Jesus, pointing them to God's grace in Christ, in the workplace where you spend much of your day, uh, and also in school where our students obviously spend much of their day. If we approach those areas as mission fields and mission opportunities uh, for retired people, for your grandchildren, uh, for intentionality with relationships you have in those years, we think about those areas as places where God wants to use us for his glory and for his mission to make his love known, I think we'll see let's go become a reality in our city of seeing more people meet, understand, and know Jesus. I'm really thankful for that story. Uh, We're in week five of Let's Go, our last week, and it's the halfway point in this big vision, and it's a special day for our church. It really is Commitment Sunday. You might be here going, I've been here in a long time, it's my first time, am I really here on like money day? Well, that's okay, Uh, you're here on vision day, and I hope you'd want to be a part of a church or see a church actually say, here's what we want to do, and we're going to get after it. We want to reach the next generation, expand our children's space, have space for middle school and high school students, increase our missions giving across the world, here in North America, here in Tallahassee. Uh, oftentimes, people say things like, well, what's the church actually doing? What are churches even doing today? Well, here's what we're doing. Like, we're going forward with the good news in Tallahassee and beyond. So I think it's actually a great time to be here because you get to see what we're actually passionate about and what's driving us through the good news of God's grace and his love through the gospel of Jesus Christ, his death and resurrection, to keep our ministry going. So just a little bit, we're going to have a chance to respond to this Let's Go vision halfway through. We've been sharing about all month long, and whether you were here last year and already committed, or you've come in the last year and you're ready to join in on this, we need everybody with us. So stories like Michael Holmes at FSU and how God's using him there, and the others that we shared are why we must go. So we want to see every person in our city reach with the gospel, and let's go is how we want to keep doing that together as a church family. Again, it's a big day for our church as we're halfway in, and I'm really thankful you're here and that you're a part of it. I'm going to pray for us, then we'll jump into our message. We've been going through the book of Acts. Uh, Back in January, we started in Acts chapter 1, verse 1, and we're just working through the scriptures. We're going to continue that today in Acts chapter 24. Let's pray together. Our Father, we are so thankful for your love for us, that you so loved the world that you sent your only son, that he lived a life we couldn't live, a perfect life, complete obedience to your law, which we have filled out miserably. He died a death that we deserve for our sins, showing us your grace and your mercy. And also he rose from the grave, proving he really was the one he claimed to be and the one that was promised for generations through the prophets in the Old Testament. I ask we'll be unashamed of the gospel, that we'll cling to the good news of the gospel, and in doing so, we will realize, understand, even feel your love for us understood in Jesus Christ. We acknowledge that let's go is not our idea, that we read the book of Acts, we see you sending people from the very beginning and building your great institution that you designed called the local church. So that's what we found faithful. We also know it takes more than just us. So we ask with all the churches in Tallahassee, they will all say let's go. And they will keep going to try to show people who Jesus is, that we'll be found faithful, all of our churches in this community. I ask you to speak through me today, that you keep the enemy out of this place, out of our city. I pray for those in our church right now that are at a place in their life where they have some hurt or anxiety or just at times of discouragement, that they just know you're near to them right now. Lord, for those that things are going really well, I ask that they'll look to you and not themselves, realizing that there's nothing we have that we didn't receive, that all is yours. 
As will be a generous people because of how generous you have been to us in Christ. And for those who are visiting today, maybe you're checking church out, maybe they're visiting in town, seeing a friend, Lord, I ask that they'll be inspired by what's happening here and they'll catch the vision of this church. And we're just thankful for what you're doing for 52 baptisms last week, for over 150 baptisms in the past year. You're working here and we are grateful. So we ask that again, we'll be found faithful and we'll be convinced of who you are and part of your mission as we say, let's go together. And so in the name of Jesus, we ask this, amen. Our church planter in London and a guy named Thomas West and a guy named Trevin Wax will actually be here in January preaching at our church. We're working on a book right now called The Counter Catechism, and I got a sneak peek of it. And here's one of the questions they're asking and answers they're giving in the book that I wanted to share with you. And the question is, what is the mission of the church? As in, what's the point? What is? It's a pretty important question. Like here we are, it is three times gathered this morning. What's the point of all of it? And the answer is this. The church's mission is not to be a club. It's easy to become that. Or a charity, as important as charity is, that's not our first work. Or a source of prosperity, as in it's not about us pulling up ourselves. It's about God's glory and the power of the Spirit. We make disciples by declaring the gospel. The gospel meaning the good news of what Jesus has come to do for sinners. Calling people, no one's exempt, everywhere to respond to God's grace, to respond to the good news and ongoing repentance, meaning turning from our old life every day and turning more to the one who loves us and gave his life for us. Ongoing repentance and faith and displaying its power. That's what the church does. We display the power of God's grace together through faith and obedience to King Jesus. For the glory of God, that's our motivation, the worship of God, and also the good of the world. For God's glory, and for our neighbors, good. I'll read that again without commenting on it so you can get the full picture. The church's mission is not to be a club, a charity, or a source of prosperity. And the power of the Spirit, we make disciples by declaring the gospel, calling people everywhere to respond in ongoing repentance and faith and displaying its power, obeying King Jesus for the glory of God and the good of the world. That's the story of the book of Acts. We see Acts unfolding in that reality, the original let's go. I've called it from the very beginning of our series going through this book, where Jesus told his disciples to go to Judea, to Samaria, to the ends of the earth, the good news of the gospel, and that he would be with them. They would display God's power by responding to his call upon their lives to go and make much of his name. So here in Acts 24, we see Paul and the faith once again under false accusations. They're under siege, we could say. They're being persecuted. And he's being blasted by the officials and by accusers for being anything from someone who is disturbing the peace, causing riots and unrest, to something that's a very serious charge in that time in that culture of desecrating the temple. So that's the end of 23. What they're saying he's doing, the beginning of chapter 24. Then we get to verse 10 of 24, where the governor allows Paul to speak for himself and defend himself. So the governor, verse 10, motioned for him to speak. Paul replied, because I know you have been a judge of this nation for many years. He's buttering him up a little bit. I'm glad to offer my defense in what concerns me. You're giving me a chance to speak, and I'm going to speak. You can verify for yourself that it is no more than 12 days since I went up to worship in Jerusalem. They're saying I'm going to the temple every day and desecrating it. I haven't been up there in 12 days, and you even know that. Verse 12, they didn't find me arguing. I'm not disturbing the peace. I wasn't arguing with anyone or causing a disturbance. You know that's not my MO. That's not how I want to do things or what I did among the crowd, either in the temple or in the synagogues. I just go there to worship. 
I don't go there to cause any harm or anywhere in the city. He says, neither can they prove the charges they are now making against me. Like, it's false accusations. He goes, but I'm not trying to duck all of this. I know what's really going on. I admit this to you. I worship the God of my ancestors according to the way. I am Jewish. I have Jewish descent. In other words, I worship the God of Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob, just like you do, but I do it according to the way, which they would call, they called Christianity at that time, meaning I, understood, I understand now the ultimate worship of God to be found in the person and work of Jesus Christ, which y'all call it a sect, believing everything that is in accordance with the law and written in the prophets. I didn't make this up. This isn't a new or novel idea. It's the fulfillment of everything we've been promised that our ancestors pointed us, the prophets, the writings, the Old Testament, pointed to us that a Messiah would come, and I believe in him. I, I believe he really is the one. I have a hope in God, which he says these men themselves also accept. They're not atheists or agnostics who are coming after him. They are theists. They believe in the God of the Old Testament. And what is my hope in God? That there will be a resurrection. They believe in a resurrection too because the Old Testament points us to a future resurrection. Both of the righteous and the unrighteous, as in one day everyone will stand before God. You believe that, and I believe that. So what's Paul doing here? First he defends himself, but then after that he goes, y'all, I know what's really going on. There's more to the story. There's a reason behind the reason, like there always is in life, about why you're mad. It's like when you're married, and somebody blows up because you left a towel on the floor, and it's like, it's a towel. They're not mad about the towel. They're mad about the last 10 unresolved things that happened in the marriage, and the towel just made it all come out, right? That's not the real reason why they're upset. Paul's saying, you're, you're making this stuff up. You don't care about the temple because you know I didn't do that. If I did, it'd be a worthy charge. You know I'm not the one who caused a disturbance. You know why you're mad? You're pointing to other things to try to get me you're mad because of what I believe. You're mad because I believe that Jesus really is the Messiah, and if he actually rose from the grave, it confirms that he is, there is a resurrection of the dead, and it's found in Christ, and it's gonna change everything in this city if it's true. Because you can't believe that Jesus rose from the grave and it not change something. You can't be neutral about Jesus. It's so easy in our culture, our society, in Tallahassee, in our city, to be neutral about Jesus. Either Easter is real, or Easter is not. There is no in-between. And if Easter is real, then he is worthy of our lives. If it's not real, then he's some kind of strange figure in history that we should gloss over really quickly. There's no room for cultural Christianity or casual Christianity or nominal Christianity if we really believe that Jesus is the one he claimed to be. So today it would look like, well, well I don't like your tone. Well, tone matters. But what they really don't like is what you believe. That's the issue. So Paul is being put on trial and brought before people and being accused because he has declared that Jesus is the Messiah, the fulfillment of the prophets, and he is the one who gives us the resurrection of the dead. So Paul continues. And in verse 16, he says this. He goes, hey, more than that, here's what I'm doing. Here's what drives me. I'm not trying to win arguments. I don't see you as the enemy I always strive, like that's my motivation. I'm not perfect. Paul calls himself the chief of sinners. 
In Romans 7, he says things like, I know what I'm supposed to do, but I can't seem to do it. He is not holier than thou. He's not judging anybody. He's not looking down his religious nose to everybody else. He's saying, I'm striving to have a clear conscience towards God, number one, and most importantly, order matters, and also men. I want to go to bed at night knowing that I have a clear conscience before God and before my neighbors, that I've been found faithful, that I'm responding to God's grace in my life, that I'm not settling for lesser loves, that I'm not treating you as I've never heard the gospel before. Verse 17, after many years, I came to bring charitable gifts and offerings to my people. Here's what I came to do. I came to bless the city. He says, my motivations are God and others. That's what's driving me. In other words, Paul is saying that I'm for the gospel and for the city. We've been saying here at our church for many years, the motivation is God's glory, the worship of the one true God understood in Jesus Christ, and the blessing of Tallahassee and beyond by having a church that's unashamed to proclaim that. I'm for the gospel and for the city. See, what Paul is doing is he wants to point people to what resurrection belief really means, the implications of being the resurrection people who are part of the way. The Christian life is not a box you check or some destination you reach, but it's a lifestyle to be embraced because of convictions you have, responding to what you need to be true about Jesus. We're always repenting of our sins. We're continually believing in the finished work of Jesus on our behalf. And this is a lifelong journey of faith. And what has God given us, we see in Acts and beyond, to be the place where that's cultivated and practiced and enriched and encouraged is the local church. God's design in the scriptures is very clear. He's given us two great institutions, the family and the church. We should invest our lives in building those two designs of God that he's given us by his grace. So what does it look like to be for the gospel and for the city? We talk about that a lot here, but it matters. It matters to me. It's why we started a church 16 years ago with some friends. And I'm going to share some thoughts with you about what I think that looks like and our approach and how our mindset should be, at least what I'm trying to do and hope you will join me continually in. And the main points are influenced by Tim Keller, the late pastor from New York. So I want to give credit where credit is due that I am influenced by him in this, but then I have kind of my own thoughts that I intertwine along with the points. So the first thing in being for the gospel and for the city might sound strange, but it's critical. And that is to stand apart from the city. Not stand against the city. Stand apart from the city. When the people of God were exiled into Babylon because of their false worship and lack of faith and rebellion against God, God gave them instructions to the prophet Jeremiah as now what he expected them to do and how he expected them to think, how he expected them to live in this place that was not their home. In Babylonian captivity as exiles in a strange land. And the idea of them being literal physical exiles even though it's a literal thing, is a metaphor for us spiritually that God sees the church as people living as exiles and strangers in a land that's not their own, in a spiritual type of Babylon. And here's what God told them, Jeremiah 29. For this is what the Lord of armies, the God of Israel, says. And here's a clear word from God through the prophet Jeremiah. Don't let your prophets who are among you and your diviners deceive you. And don't listen to the dreams you elicit from them. For they are prophesying falsely to you in my name. Like they're saying this is Bible and Christian, you know, of God, and it's not. He says, I have not sent them. They're not from me. 
This is the Lord's declaration, as in a clear word from the Lord. Now, oftentimes, when we think about standing apart from the city, what comes to mind is lifestyle. We always say regularly here that distinct lives point to a distinct God. Like, we have to be different. We have to show that we have been saved. Let your light shine before others so they may see your good works and glorify your Father in heaven. I mean, how often do we hear people say, I'm not a Christian because Christians are blank? You know, hypocritical, judgmental, you know, whatever it could be. So oftentimes our minds, when we hear stand apart, simply go to lifestyle, even though it's really, really important. And Christians do have to live different if we're going to impact our community and the world and reflect that we belong to God and we are his people and to show we're grateful for grace in our lives and take the gospel seriously. We're told that God's kindness in Romans 2 leads us to repentance. His goodness drives us. But notice what God's concern is for his people. Yes, lifestyle matters. But he doesn't want them to get duped. Get duped by the false teachings of their time. One of the greatest ways that we can stand apart from the city is to not buy into the latest ideologies that are always coming our way. My friend Eric Reed is a pastor and speaks at our students' camp. He tells his church regularly where he pastors that they need to make sure they're continuing to grow their baloney detector. So students over here, often you heard Eric say that, your baloney detector. Maybe you heard your grandpa used to say something like, oh, that's baloney. He's full of baloney. No offense to the fried baloney at the North Florida Fair. That's fantastic baloney. But the rest of baloney out there is a messaging coming at us all the time. The latest progressive ideologies. The latest radical right-wing YouTube channel that just fills our minds. We jump on the latest trend, the latest hashtag the latest cause for 24 hours of the day, trying to be viewed a certain way. It's amazing and tragic how easily we are influenced by the messaging of the world. And one of the greatest ways a church can stand apart from the city is to stand firmly on the scriptures and the word of God and to have a baloney detector where you're not gonna get duped. We have to stand strong against the ideologies of this world in our own minds, in our own hearts individually and corporately as a church. His concern for them was that they would get sucked into the false teaching that sounded Bible enough, but wasn't actually what the scriptures were telling them. And God said, be careful of this. Don't get duped by this. Wear your baloney detector advice all the time. And the only way we can really be, have an effective baloney detector is if we're in the scriptures and we're a part of the church. So that allows our minds to be fed. Again, think about this. We're here an hour-ish, depends on how long I go, an hour-ish a week, What's the messaging happen when we walk out of this door? It's 24-7. It's on our phones. It's on our social media. It's on the news. It's on people's Facebook feeds. It's just so easy. It's on TikTok. Y'all be careful of TikTok, please. That's a bunch of garbage, baloney. Y'all be careful. So it's everywhere. We have to stand apart from the city if we're going to be for the gospel and for the city because we have to offer the city something different. And that different is not new. It's a name that is above all names. It's the same yesterday, today, and forever. The Alpha and the Omega, the beginning of the end, and that is Jesus Christ, crucified and risen. The second thing is we do this from within the city. Not removed from it. Notice what I'm about to read you. He doesn't tell them to go and hide. He says, this is what the Lord of armies, the God of Israel, says to all the exiles I deported from Jerusalem to Babylon. So what I want you to do is start a Christian commune, 
Remove yourselves from the world. Put up an ironclad wall, holy huddle around you. He goes, no, build houses and live in them. Plant gardens and eat their produce. Find wives for yourselves and have sons and daughters. What's he telling them? Root yourselves here. This is where I'm going to place you. Live here. Have families here. Thrive here. Find for your sons and give your daughters to men in marriage so they may bear sons and daughters. Now, obviously, different culture, different time, and how they approach marriage and meeting someone and being arranged, but the principle is timeless, and that is root yourselves, build families, live in the city, not apart from it, while standing apart from it. It says multiply there. Do not decrease. Because conventional wisdom would have been like, we're in Babylon, we're the people of God, this place is terrible. We don't want to have kids here. I hear people regularly say, I don't, I don't want to raise kids in this world. What is God telling us to do? Plant yourselves. Marry. Raise families. Be rooted here. Build homes. Plant gardens. Like organic farming before it was cool. Eat their produce. Multiply here. Do not decrease. Do it from within the city. I worry. I worry that we're gonna, that a generation of Christian parents that's kind of coming up is in danger. Sorry, I spit on myself as I was talking. Is gonna be in danger. When it's on video, you just gotta own it. All right, sorry. So, is in danger of just removing themselves from the world. Like sheltering their families and their kids to a place where they have no influence and don't know how to thrive in Babylon. There's a lot of different ways to approach parenting. I'm not giving one, one example or just one, I'm not saying, I'm just saying, let's make sure, whatever that looks like for you, that we're raising our kids to live in Babylon, not isolated from Babylon, while standing apart from the city. And the third thing is, we stand apart from the city, where? From within the city, while loving the city. While loving the city. Look at what he says. Pursue the well-being of the city I have deported you to. Pray the Lord on its behalf. Be praying for the city. For when it thrives, it thrives. When Babylon flourishes, you're going to flourish. Why? Because you're a part of the city where you're trying to make an impact. There's a thing here. If, if you, one of the things that will never allow someone to work here is if they don't love Tallahassee. Like, if you don't love Tallahassee, you will not be on staff here. That does not mean Tallahassee's perfect or we don't have more car washes per capita than any place in the world. I think that's true. But we want people who love Tallahassee, who want to root themselves here, who love this city. I, mean, I don't want anyone on social media from our staff, I'm not controlling people, but there's just things that matter to me. Like social media is not the place to be negative about anything in our city. Like it's not the place to rail on a restaurant or to rail on a school, or to rail, like that's not what we do here. Don't get me wrong, I want to give a well-pointed message sometimes to county commissioners and those kind of things, but you got to restrain yourself. Because we want to love Tallahassee. I don't know if you've ever met someone before. This is a, a common practice that I have encountered. When you meet someone who has immigrated to this country, I mean, like, legally came here, intentionally immigrated here, uh, even, like, I mean, like, first generation and second generation, usually, and how much they love America. You ever notice that? They're some of the proudest patriots you've ever met in your entire life. I mean, they, they still have their accent from their former country. They still are 
definitely live the culture of it and love their heritage and eat the food and speak the language and all those kind of things. But nobody gets more excited on the 4th of July. You ever notice that? They love it here. Like some of the most patriotic people you'll ever meet are those who came here intentionally to find a better life. Now, Babylon was not a better life. They were in captivity, but God said, love this place and live here and be on mission here. That's what's driven me ever since. It's a love for Tallahassee. And then we got some people together 16 years ago in a living room that also love Tallahassee. I wanted to reach my friends and provide a place for them to come to church and hear the good news of the gospel and walk with people through different times in their lives that are complicated and difficult and help people see that following Jesus is worth it. There's not more to be gained by disobeying God than there is to be gained by obeying him. You don't got to go around him to find what you're looking for in life. You can actually go right to him. That you can actually stand for the truth of the scriptures and not be a curmudgeon. And you can love your city without adopting the worldviews and the philosophies and the ideologies of the city, even when other people don't think it's loving. So from day one, the vision has not changed. And I'll talk to people sometimes who have been here since the beginning, like kind of that first 100 people or so that walked in the doors in the spring of 2007. And they'll say something like, y'all are saying the same things, praying the same prayers, pushing the same things, valuing the same things, and it's like, yes, not because we're creative, we're trying to not be creative, because we believe the Bible is true and it's timeless, so we're not trying to reinvent anything. We're trying to say, here's who Jesus is, so why would you build your life on the sand when you can build your life on the foundation of Christ, and that God's kindness and his goodness would drive us away from ourselves, we would reject self-actualization. We would reject, do what's best for you, that you're number one. Like We would reject those things and say, no, Jesus is number one. Paul says, I was here for God's glory and the welfare of others. So we think the greatest thing that we can be for Tallahassee is a dynamic and vibrant church. To be for the city, it's easy to list 100 social projects, and we're engaged socially, and we think all those things matter. But what does Tallahassee continue to need more than anything else? dynamic and vibrant churches that preach the scriptures, that make you feel like you're walking into 2023 in terms of technology and modernized with a timeless message, that cares about the next generation, that believes FSU and FAMU and TCC are massive mission fields, that want high school and middle school students to see Wednesday night here as the highlight of their week, to support families in this really complicated thing called raising kids and teenagers in this area where we live. And to stop the generational shift of what we see statistically. The book of Judges says that after Joshua, some generations came who no longer knew the Lord. They had forgotten the things that he had done for Israel. And that's close to being a reality in America. There's this kind of unchurched Christianity where I can have church in the deer stand and have church on the golf course and have church. In the scriptures, we see God's people, part of local churches, and carrying out their faith in those contexts. So an unchurched Christianity eventually for the next generation becomes a no Christianity altogether. It's a slow fade that happens generationally. And a lot of you can testify to that. Sonka Revival preacher. Testify to that. You can testify to that. 
where, you know, your grandparents, man, they were serious about Jesus, active in their church. Then your parents, who are like boomers, they were like sort of, kind of still, like, yes, Jesus, yeah, well, like, yes, but kind of in and out, and some life change happened, and they kind of went away, and, you know, divorce, or moved or you know like things happened they just kind of went away from the church and now their kids who were like 35 to 45 mother's day maybe pray before dinner like have good values and good morals but like jesus or not atheists or agnostics but yeah it's just kind of casual and then their kids who are you know teenagers or 12 years old, you know, they'll get their little spiritual fixes here and there, like, that makes you kind of feel good about they went to something or, you know, that kind of idea, or they have a Bible verse on their Instagram account, and it's like, oh, okay, you know, that sort of deal, or they have a chapel at their school, isn't that cute, or, you know, that, that, something like that, but they're good kids, but they don't know Jesus, and then that next generation that we don't know yet, that hasn't even been formed in their mother's womb yet, uh, where are they going to be? And are there going to be churches like ours to continue, hopefully, a generational shift taking place? So what I love about our church, we're far from perfect, but we are multi-generational. Like, multi-generational. We got a million kids back there right now in City Church Kids. We got high school and middle school students. got college students. got people my age. I'm 43 next month. Got people my parents' age. Got people at the 5 p.m. dinner at Denny's range. We got it all. We got it all. For God's grace, by God's grace, and for God's glory. So let's be people that say enough is enough of those. We're going to stop those generational shifts and actually have a place people actually want to go and want to be a part of. Because I'm not going to go to something I'm not excited about. As we stand apart from the city, they make, help people realize they're not crazy. The world will think you're crazy. You can't make Christianity cool enough or appealing enough. We're told the gospel's foolishness to those who don't know Jesus. So we stand apart from the city. We have a different loyalty. But we do it from within the city. People like Michael Holmes, seeing the home and the school and the workplace as mission fields. We do it while loving the city, loving Tallahassee, being rooted here, wanting to see its well-being. And we say, God, please do a work. Please do a work here. I, I think this really is the most exciting time to be a part of a part of City Church. If you just have been coming here the last year, good timing. 16 years ago, a group of people sat in a room and committed together to give and invest to see this good news go forward in Tallahassee through the church. So we have this big vision to reach our friends and neighbors, and it's driven us really ever since. And at, the, and at the halfway point of let's go, right smack in the middle, that drive is still the same. We want to see people reach for Christ, grow in their faith, love the church. So my hope is that years from now, a new group of people will be growing in their faith, taking next steps, taking the gospel forward, being sent as missionaries or being the ones sending. Because of what happens in this era, in this moment, in this age of our church. In the here and now of this commitment to our Let's Go vision. So last Sunday we saw 52 people declare Jesus Christ as my Lord and Savior and got baptized. It was amazing. We've had over 100, and yeah, it was incredible. Since, since Let's Go started, it's always been much more than about a building. 
Since Let's Go started, we've had a, over 150 people get baptized in one year. 152 people baptized in one year? Unbelievable. God's at work. And we're trusting that many more will follow in the months and years to come. So as we move into a time of commitment where we say, let's go together, it's an us thing, I'm excited for what lies ahead, and I'm inviting you to be a part of it, not just in terms of let's go, but this church family. So I believe our response to this let's go vision will not just set us up for the next year, but for years to come, a generational impact from our church for the city and to the world. I'm excited for the fact that we're going to massively increase our kids' space and have a place where middle school and high school students can meet and increase our missions giving across the world and have a special needs room and ministry through our kids' ministry. I'm just so thankful for all the things that are coming. It's a big vision, but it's going to take all of us together. So you should have a commitment card on your seat when you came in this morning, and hopefully you've had a chance to fill out the back with your name and contact information. And we're going to spend the next few minutes praying and responding to maybe what God's called you to do. On the inside of the card, there are a few ways to respond, as Alex did a great job walking you through earlier. And it's important to me that you know that this information is private. A team of about three people will know your financial commitment, and they're part of our finance team. That's who's going to know. Someone has to know. They're going to know. We're going to spend the next couple of minutes filling out our commitment cards. And as I mentioned, whether you were here last year and already made a commitment, or you've come in the last year and you're ready to join in, we're asking everyone to turn in a card today. If you brought yours filled out and you're ready to go, I'm asking you to spend the next few minutes praying by yourself with the people you came with. The band's going to play, and when you feel ready, we're asking you to bring your card forward. Drop it in one of these baskets up front. There's one there, one there. It's our chance to say, let's go together. And I want to say thank you. Church is people who come together as a body. And I just want to thank you for making this church your home or checking it out for the first time and committing to taking this good news forward and building this great institution by God's grace that Jesus promised ultimately he's the one who builds, just his church. So I'm going to pray for us and the band will play as you continue praying and filling out your cards. Our Father, we are so grateful for your love for us. We're thankful for the fact that you had a clear design from the beginning, that you would build a church. And that church would be expressed locally through congregations all around the world. And we ask those increase. We'll be able to send more missionaries and plant more churches and see more people discipled and more people come to know Christ. That we'll see more baptisms. More people have strengthening faith moments in Bible studies and city groups and equip classes for our next generation, college, middle school and high school, elementary school, preschool age. I thank you for the babies who are being rocked in the back right now, that they will grow up and love you and love the city and love the church. So I will be found faithful or that we can be committed to you because you're committed to us. You're the one who committed to us. Your word tells us that we can't be snatched out of your hand, that you who began a good work in us be faithful to complete it in Christ. You are committed to your people. So let us respond to that truth, that unshakable, unchanging reality by having open hands that say, Lord, here's my life. Here's my commitment. Let me follow you every single day. Lord, thank you for what you're doing here. We ask it continues. We do not take it for granted. We are thankful for this moment, for this time. And Lord, we ask that you will push us forward as we say, let's go together. We have a city that desperately needs to be reached and a world the gospel definitely needs to go to. We depend on you for it. And we thank you in the name of Jesus for it all. Amen.